You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Milwaukee and also the Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Richland Center. Shout out to our ESPN affiliate in Richland Center. I'm the Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Wisconsin, so I represent the whole state. Not joining me as always is my good friend Frank Men, also the founder of BrewHoop.com. As you may know, Frank uh, takes off Thursday nights and I gotta say little bit disappointed tonight because this one would have been a lot of fun because I I think we just saw one of the most ridiculous performances in the history of the NBA Finals. And LeBron goes for 51 points, 19 of 32 from the field, 10 of 11 from the free throw line, 3 of 7 from 3, 8 assists, 8 rebounds, a steal, and a block. And somehow has his team in a position to win the game. To somehow get game one against the Golden State Warriors. And I just honestly couldn't believe that, one, he was even in that spot. And then, two, what happens next? Because it is among the more unbelievable unbelievable things you'll ever see. And I guess let's just take it to 30, let's see, 36 seconds left. Uh, So with 36.4 seconds left, Kevin Durant makes two free throws, ties the game at 104. 36 seconds, kind of a tough spot. Can you go two for one? Can you not? The the Cavaliers inbound the ball to LeBron, and he gets a two for one, uh, scoring in just over four seconds on a layup to get it to 106-104. Steph Curry goes down to the other end. He tries to push it up uh, the floor in a hurry, gets to the basket, and one for him, and he's able to take a 107-106 lead. So 107-106, 23 and a half seconds left. LeBron brings the ball down. He has the ball in the middle of the floor. All the Warriors are getting ready to converge on him. He sees George Hill getting held on the baseline, whips a pass in there. George Hill goes. the the officials call the foul. George Hill goes to the line. He has a chance to win. I shouldn't say win the game, but to give them a lead with 4.7 seconds left. He hits the first one to tie it at 107. And then, and then George Hill misses the free throw, which won. Make your free throws. You're up 108, 107. No, no saying whether or not the the Cavaliers get a stop in that situation. Uh, But still you, you, could have gotten a 108-107 lead. That doesn't happen. Rebound comes off a little bit deeper than would have been expected. Kevin Durant gets pushed in a little bit by J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith skies up, gets the rebound, has a chance for a putback with 4.7 left. Uh, instead, dribbles the ball out, 
dribbles out to the three-point line, starts dribbling out towards half court in what very clearly appears to be an action you would make if you believed you were winning the game and dribbling away from people attempting to follow you. The game was tied, 107-107. He whiffs it to George Hill. George Hill tries to get off a three. It gets blocked. The Cavaliers and the Warriors go to overtime, 107-107. And in that overtime period, the Warriors outscore the Cavaliers 17-7. And the Cavaliers lose that game. And when they ask everyone about what happened post-game, I think very clearly on the television shots right after the play, you could see LeBron ask, what were you doing? And he was doing the pointing towards the basket thing that all the Celtics were doing to Aaron Baines last week. And JR said to him, I thought we were ahead. And again, maybe that wasn't what he said, but it certainly looked like that was what, uh, what he said when you lip read exactly uh, from that angle. And after the game, JR says that, he thought that uh, he thought that they, the game was tied and he was just dribbling out uh, to try to get a better shot and he was going to try to win the game. Uh, after the game, Tyron Liu said JR thought the game was tied and that was why he did what he did and that was what he understood from JR. Uh, so it just a spot where JR being JR is kind of a kind of a a theme that we've always seen throughout his career but in that very moment he kind of swings the entire balance of of that game and again that might yeah I mean yeah I think going into this there wasn't really a chance that the Cavaliers were going to win but any chance that they were going to win is out the window by blowing game one like I, I just don't see how that can happen because they needed 51 points eight rebounds eight assists from LeBron James to lose in overtime. Like he had to be so perfect and they had to play so well for him to even get them into this game. And then ultimately they lose this one. And I just don't see any way that you recover from it. I don't see any way that uh, you can actually make this a series against the Warriors. So uh, I think we're looking at a sweep, a gentleman's sweep, whatever it may be, but I guess some some thoughts that I have from all of this, and again, I know this is locked on Bucks, but I don't really care. That was crazy, so I want to talk about it. And just some just some thoughts. I feel terrible for Jr., but also this is the story of Jr.'s career. Like he does boneheaded things, and sometimes he makes really great plays. Which an offensive rebound in that situation is an undeniably great play. Undeniably, there, there's no way you can deny that. Being able to get an offensive rebound over Kevin Durant, who's taller than him, and get into a spot to bail out George Hill, who missed that free throw, is a great play. And then he just follows it up with one of the more boneheaded decisions you could ever, ever have in that moment. And it is just a crazy, heartbreaking way to lose a game. So the other thing that I think right now is LeBron is impossible. I just can't imagine a more impressive game. I've never seen one. I've never seen a more impressive performance than what LeBron James did in that game. 51-8-8, a 19-of-32 shooting. 
he's incredible. He's absolutely incredible. I've never seen um, anyone play the game like that. And again, I I know that will upset some of the the people that really love Michael Jordan, but I've never seen anything like that before. That was the most incredible thing I've ever seen on a basketball court, that just play after play, moment after moment, when they needed a play, LeBron was able to make it. And that's against one of the best teams we've seen in the modern era. And they just couldn't do anything with him. He was getting whatever he wanted. He was able to get to the basket. He was finding teammates. Uh, I think on top of those eight assists, he had a number of hockey assists. Like He was just getting them whatever they wanted, and it didn't matter. I've never seen someone control a game like that. And I guess from that, this will be this will be my hotter take of the day. If you felt compelled to tweet something to the effect of Jordan would have had would have made sure his guys knew what was going on in that situation. You know what? If you even felt compelled to tweet about Michael Jordan at all, you're a loser. You're a loser. I'm sorry. Just watch what that was from LeBron and appreciate it. You don't need to bring MJ into it. Now, some people might have said LeBron's the GOAT or whatever, and you're responding to that, fine. But if unprovoked, you just decided to tweet, oh, LeBron should have done this, or can't believe LeBron found a way to lose this one, or MJ's better than him, MJ would have found a way to win, you are a loser, period. I'm sorry. Like, There's just no other way for me to say it because that MJ's not playing right now. LeBron was playing, and he put on the most incredible performance I've ever seen. So if you felt compelled to bring Michael Jordan into the conversation tonight, you're a loser. I, I don't really have any other words for it, just because I, I can't comprehend the the need to push him above LeBron to always have this conversation. I just cannot imagine it. I All I can imagine is appreciating what I just saw because it was incredible, and I don't really have any other words for that. And if Frank was on here, he'd probably try to protect me from myself and try to keep me from saying stuff like that. But I'm sorry. That's just how I feel because that was amazing. And I will not really ever forget watching him make the plays that he did in that game. And it's a shame that his teammates uh, couldn't really pick up the rest of the slack. But for them to, you know, be in that game and really – I mean, I think win that game, they should have won that game down the stretch is, I mean, it just speaks to his greatness. So that, that'll be all I have for that game. And again, like I said, I'm sorry. I know this is locked on bucks, but just got done watching that game. So I wanted to talk about it a little bit. Now to the bucks. One thing I had talked about yesterday was how on these Thursday nights where I don't have Frank, I think I'm going to try to get some guests. I think I'm going to try to uh, make this draft night on Lockdown Bucks. I think that makes a lot of sense. And again, there will be probably other times where um, I know when I brought this up to Frank last night, he was like, oh man, I wanted to talk to Cole. So yeah, like we'll have guests during the week that also talk draft, but uh, we're going to find a way that... Uh, on Fridays, this will be kind of NBA draft Friday. And uh, I think where I want to start with the draft is 
just kind of a conversation about who people are thinking about and the people and the players that people should be thinking about. So on Twitter today, I, I tweeted something out like, who is your realistic choice at 17 bucks fans? And I got a lot of feedback. So one, thank you all of you for participating and let me know kind of where your head's at because it, it's kind of interesting to see the the players that become popular in that and the guys that Bucks fans are really thinking about because I think that makes the conversation a lot more interesting for me that I know you guys are thinking about certain players and then obviously when we bring on draft people we can have them talk a little bit about those players and try to let us know exactly what's going on with them and if those are quality players if they fit in and uh, learning a little bit more about their strengths and weaknesses so I, I think that's important and we'll get to that in a second but how I always start my draft prep and some people might not like this because it kind of takes a number of people off the board and then maybe mock drafts aren't quite as much fun or you know you don't get to think about the entirety of the draft is and I've done this exercise now for a bunch of years as I as I read my draft preview and it's the idea of kind of grouping players and the goal isn't to group them into point guards shooting guards uh wings and bigs or anything like that the the hope is to group them into players that may be around in that area because i think there is some value in kind of finding concentrations of players that you know you should be focusing on so that maybe by the time that player gets drafted or you're able to think about exactly uh who the players that the Bucks could be drafting comes around, like you're thinking about the right players. So how I try to do that is to create sometimes three groups, sometimes four groups. And tonight we're going to focus on four groups, but the groups that I like to call those are definitely gone, maybe there, probably there and definitely there. And the, the way I like to think about this is like, there's no reason, and maybe there is some reason, maybe there's some way that you believe that the Bucks can trade up into the top five and get some of these players, but I just always find it useless to me to talk about someone like DeAndre Ayton. Like, why would I talk about DeAndre Ayton and his fit on the Milwaukee Bucks? Because the Bucks are probably never going to have a chance at him because one, I don't know if they have the assets to go up to number one and two, I don't know if they want to do that. Uh, so uh, to me, it just feels useless. So what I kind of want to do tonight is knock out a number of those guys. And again, we can talk about them very briefly and kind of what they're about and why they are in the position that they are and why they're attractive to teams uh, in the top 10 or so. But Ultimately, the goal is to, in my mind, sort of knock them off the board because to me, they just seem like guys that are uh, a fantasy. They're not something that's real. So um, I've tried to put together my preliminary list of definitely gone guys. And what I say, when I say definitely gone guys, what I mean is there is not a, a possible world that exists that if the Bucks stay at 17, this guy could somehow get to them. Like there's just, there's just no conceivable way. Like either someone that really wanted him would trade up or the 16 teams in front of the Bucks or the 16 spots in front of the Bucks. There's uh, 
one team that has a couple picks in there. So the teams in front of the Bucks, there's no way that this player could get to 17. There's just no way. So here we go. Let's start at the very top of the draft. And, and again, these are, I was able to come up with a list of nine. I have nine players that I think are definitely gone. And we'll try to focus on, you know, this definitely gone group and then the maybe gone group a, a little bit here tonight. And then we'll get into some of the players that you guys really like, who I think are mostly grouped in the probably there and definitely their group which is nice because hopefully i mean that means you guys kind of took my question seriously that it, the realistic players that might be in that area uh so that should give us a lot to talk about in the coming weeks so here is my list of players that i feel will definitely be gone when the milwaukee bucks pick at 17 let's start with deandre ayton center from arizona seven footer 240 pounds just a monster of a human being and I just can't find any way there's not a weakness on there. Um, there's, there's not a weakness in his game large enough that he could somehow drop to 17. Uh, he'll almost certainly be the first pick of the draft. Maybe he'll be uh, one of the top three picks in the draft. But there's just no way that he is going to be at number 17. After that, I think it gets a little bit more complicated at the top of the draft of who will go, what order they will go in. But for this exercise... That, to me, doesn't really matter a whole lot. So uh, let's just knock out, I think, three guys here um, that I feel are not going to be there as well. Uh, the first one would be Marvin Bagley. Uh, the third, six foot 11, 234-pounder, 19-year-old uh, power forward center kind of combo out of Duke. Again, there might be some concerns about what position he plays. You might not be 100% sure um, exactly what he is at the next level, uh, but I do think he's got great scoring and uh, rebounding talent. He just has really, I think, really solid instincts, and I think you can find a lot of things that you like about him. And again, there's not a weakness on him large enough that would drop him out of the top five-ish players uh, in this draft, certainly not out of the top 10, not out of the lottery, and not all the way down to 17. So that would be the next one. Jaron Jackson Jr., Michigan State, power forward center combo, six foot 11, 240 pounds. Um, I know when he did all of his work at the Combine, I think everyone was kind of excited about I think what, what his hand size and his just wingspan and his mobility and the way that he tested out and just I think everyone is excited about his potential and I think he's someone that you're drafting more for ceiling than maybe exactly what he did last year at Michigan State but again not following the top three five ten lottery no way Luka Doncic uh, that would be your six eight point guard uh 220 pounds played at real madrid and again there may be questions uh how does the conversion work how do you feel about a, a euro kid coming over to play but i mean i just don't think we've really ever seen a player as young as him produce the way that he has at a top level of european basketball um or of basketball overseas in the he was in euro league and he i mean he, he won the mvp like there's no doubt that this kid can play and uh, again 
Maybe he falls to four uh, to the Grizzlies. I believe that's what they have in the current ESPN uh, mock draft done by Jonathan Gavoni, uh, previously of Draft Express. But again, I don't think you see him fall out. I, I just, I just can't imagine it. Um, all right, uh, Mobamba, Texas insane wingspan seven foot nine or so i think it was uh just a ridiculous long athletic player that uh, i know they've been talking about his jump shot and how that is improving and um you know i just think an incredibly high ceiling something that can anchor a defense and then hopefully you know if he if that three-point shot can be real you know maybe he can stretch the floor a little bit so i think someone that Everyone will be excited about, you know, maybe you're a little bit concerned about him being too thin, but ultimately probably not falling out of the top five. Now, I I think this is where it starts to get sort of interesting. I feel like those five, Aiton, Doncic, uh, Bagley, Bamba, and Jaron Jackson, uh, to me all feel like lockish type players for the top five. Uh, I think these next four are a little bit more confusing. Um, and again, might have a little bit more variability. Maybe they can go as high as five, but also maybe they can go as low as 12 or 13. But I just can't imagine these next four falling out of the lottery. I, I just, I just don't see it. So uh, we'll start with Trey young and, Again, there's a lot of concerns about him. You look at his size, maybe you're not 100% sure that he'll be able to play at the next level, but you look at his playmaking, you look at the way that he was able to shoot threes, the difficulty of the threes that he shot, and still the high percentage that he shot. He just seems like the the point guard that you would draft if you're looking for a, a modern NBA point guard. So, again, I think there's some variance in where he could go, but... I don't see any possible way that he could ever get all the way to 17. Up next, Wendell Carter Jr., uh, another teammate of Marvin Bagley's at Duke this past year. Uh, 19-year-old, 6'10", 263 pounds. And again, maybe some positional concerns. Uh, you know, is he... Is he too big? Is is he going to have a real position? What do you think about the center position? And I think that's kind of the question with a number of these guys at the top. What is the future of NBA centers? But at the same time, you look at Wendell Carter Jr. He can pass a little bit. He can block some shots. Uh, he can shoot a little bit. And again, he was overshadowed. And, you know, I think a lot of, obviously, Bagley has that, I guess Bagley kind of has that higher standing among Duke center prospects, but at the same time, there's no doubt that Wendell Carter Jr. can play. And again, can't imagine a world where he falls out of the lottery. So the next two are two guys that I really like and have been hoping would somehow fall to the Bucks, but I think it's a, a dream that I sort of have to give up because in this league, we talk about, or at least I've talked about for the last couple of weeks, wings, right? You're always looking for the next best wings. You're looking for guys that can be three and D threats. And I think both these guys, uh, both of the Bridges, Mikhail Bridges from Villanova, someone who, and again, this is, I'm trying to think who from the Stepien wrote this, but there's kind of some some disagreement about just how good of a prospect he is. Uh, I think a lot of people see him as 
a no doubt three and D guy uh, that you can just kind of plug and play, and he's going to be great. Um, but I think the the concerns about him are: is he quick enough to guard uh, NBA? level quickness is he going to be able to kind of switch on to some of those things and that's the idea with him is that he's gonna be one of those multi-positional guys you can switch you know kind of one through four with him and have him be able to do all those things but then also be a great three-point shooter he does a lot of really uh, good stuff on the move catch and shoot uh, a little bit off the dribble from three-point shooter and then uh, he's just gonna be a, a very good role player for you which I mean it's tough to think of that as top 10 talent, but in a league that is about wings and finding three and D guys and uh, guys that can just play in the playoffs, p- plug and play. And he's kind of the, the, I think the example of that, he is what you're, you're sort of hoping for in, in that regard. So again, he might fall down as low as, uh, I, I don't know, 13 maybe, somewhere in that area. But I just can't imagine him getting past a team like the Clippers at 13 uh, or at 12 and 13 because maybe the Clippers at 12 and 13, one of those is a home run swing. Maybe there's a guy in there that you take a chance on and then you want if you want another safer pick, I think Mikhail Bridges is, is, is that guy. So that'd be, that'd be my guess. Uh, so I will put Bridges on the definitely gone list. And then the final one is Miles Bridges. Uh, he played at Michigan State. He would have been a lottery pick last year, went back to school for his sophomore season. Uh, he'll be 20 years old here when he's drafted, Six foot six, 226 pounds. He slimmed down a little bit. I think he was closer to 235 last year. Uh, played a lot of power forward for Michigan State last year. Now with Jaron Jackson being there, uh, they kind of downshifted him to small forward. And as you watch him do that, he, he kind of improved from three. He was able to do a little bit more ball handling and playmaking. And again, maybe you have some questions about whether or not he can do all those things at the NBA level, but I think he's good enough as an athlete and as a two-way player and as a shooter to go before 17. So those would be my nine guys that I would say are definitely gone. And again, this could change. Maybe you hear something about one of those guys and they drop out. Maybe you hear something new about one of the players below them and they drop into that or they move up into that top whatever group, uh, if it's 10, if it's 11, whatever. But they could move into the definitely gone group and then all of a sudden you have uh, a number of, of players that are up there. And But for now, that's what I have is the nine definitely gone players. Where this gets a little bit more complicated is when we move to this next group, but I think for the most part, those nine guys are all guys that I I can't imagine thinking about um, as you look at players that you could potentially draft uh, this year for the Bucks at 17. So those are the definitely gone guys. DeAndre Aiden, Luka Doncic, Marvin Bagley the third, Mohamed Bamba, Jared Jackson Jr., Trey Young, Michael Bridges, Miles Bridges, and Wendell Carter Jr. Those are your nine that I just cannot imagine being there for the Bucks at 17. Now, the next group, it gets a little bit more interesting here, but this is a group of players that I feel pretty confident won't be there for the Bucks, but there is possible reasons uh, that they could fall and they could end up not being uh, in that in that top 
16 area before the Bucks pick. There could be uh, some way that they would end up falling uh, to the Bucks at 17. So uh, I think I'll get it started with Michael Porter Jr. I think he's someone that's almost certainly not going to be there for the Milwaukee Bucks. And I say that just because of the type of the season that he had. Um, he was someone that came into this year as a potential number one overall pick. And then he had some health problems at Missouri. Uh, it was a back injury that held him out for much of the season. Uh, he returns at the end of the season, and then he's able to uh, – look not really like himself but at least get back on the floor and show that you know he's he's ready to play and you know maybe show off a little bit of that that winner's mentality that I want to be on the floor I want to help my team so he's someone that I feel very confident will be gone but if that back injury is so bad and when you get him in for a physical you don't feel confident that you can trust it going forward I mean maybe he's a dropper maybe he's someone that could be available at 17 because of that injury. I don't think it is that serious, but like I said, as I do this exercise, I try to think of guys that there's no possible way. There's just no way that that player could get there. And with Porter, there's a way that he could get there. And it would be because of that back injury, but because it's there, I do think I needed to include him in the probably gone not definitely gone category. Now, up next, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, guard out of Kentucky. He's someone that a lot of people really like. Uh, six foot six, really good size. Uh, maybe he plays more of a combo guard in the league. Uh, but when you think about the way that he plays, I think you're more excited about uh, maybe some of the lineup flexibility that you could have with him. You think about uh, the defensive versatility. You think about the way that he can guard positions and maybe not quite as much about uh, his offense, about whether or not he can uh, shoot it confidently, whether or not he can score confidently and do all those things. So I think he's someone that is probably gone by the time that the Bucks get there, but uh, he was someone that when we talked about realistically, uh, when I put out that question, who do you realistically want at 17? Some people put him as their optimistic guy that if things somehow magically happen or fall just perfectly, the Bucks could somehow get a, a look at Shea Gilgis Alexander. So again, it could happen uh, because of those questions with his offense. Um, but it seems unlikely that he would be there at 17. Another guard, Colin Sexton out of Alabama. You may remember him from the five-on-four game <laughs> where his Alabama team ended up having guys get fouled out, and he ended up getting to try to win a game five-on-four. And uh, he is just an extremely aggressive scorer. He's able to get into the lane. He's able to you know, just be super aggressive uh, offensively and find a way to get to the rack and create for his teammates. And uh, just offensively, I think he's he's really good, but I think there would be some questions about his size. Um, he did not measure out as well as teams would have liked at the draft. Uh, six foot two, and I think the hope was, you know, that he'd be a little bit taller than that. His wingspan would be a little bit longer, but instead uh, it was all on the shorter side. So I think maybe some concern there. And then then I think you have to try to attempt to figure out, you know, do you want a guy like Sexton to have the ball in his hands as much as he did in college? And, you know, there are times where he can be a little bit reckless and he is so aggressive that at times, you know, that means he'll force. So I think there's some questions. I doubt 
that he would fall to the Milwaukee Bucks at 17. So that's why he's in the probably gone category. But, you know, maybe there are some questions there and maybe uh, he would end up being available. Up next, Lonnie Walker, someone that I I really had kind of circled before the last couple weeks as someone that I was thinking about for the Bucks at 17. But he has managed to put on a show in just about every outing he's had after the college basketball season, which makes a lot of sense. He's six foot four, crazy vertical, six foot ten and a half inch wingspan, and he he can shoot it. That was one of the things that, you know, kind of attracted me uh, to him as a prospect is the just the idea that he could shoot it. He can come off some screens. Uh, he can hit stuff off the move. He can shoot the three. And then he has that athleticism and, you know, maybe he has some of that versatility. He can be a wing. He can switch a couple different positions. So that was someone that I, I had kind of hoped would fall to the Bucks, But now I think... He's really been a riser, and there's some people, I think Sam Vecini was talking about a little bit yesterday, that he might even go as high as into the bottom of the top 10, so 9 or 10 there uh, for the, the 76ers or the Knicks. Again, don't know if that'll happen, but I do think that because of that, I feel confident saying that he will not be there for the Milwaukee Bucks. All right, two more guys left here on this list of probably guns. And again, I'm not going to have 16 because I think it gets a little bit confusing once you get to the 15 area of who will be gone, who will not be gone. Um, this is a guy that a lot of Bucks fans put down on their list when I asked them, you know, who is your realistic guy at 17? And I think it's probably a little bit more on the optimistic side than the realistic side, but that's totally fair game. And that was Robert Williams power forward center at texas a&m uh he's gonna be he'll turn 21 uh, just at the start of this nba season six foot ten 235 pounds and uh he was kind of impressive to people as uh, texas a&m made a run to the sweet 16 and it, i think most people kind of see him as a rim runner uh kind of a again, I don't want to say Clint Capella because he was just so, so good in this playoffs. And I know that's the comp that I've seen a lot for Robert Williams, but I do think, you know, maybe that's not bad just because he is uh, of the mold of that rim runner of that catch the lob of the, you know, athletic enough to make something happen uh, in the lane. And I think also to do some things defensively. He's long enough to block some shots. He has pretty good uh, instincts on that side of the floor. So he can be kind of a complete guy, but at the same time doesn't really have that shooting skill, which, again, we saw Clint Capella go all the way to the Western Conference Finals and be totally playable throughout all of that. Um, you just have to you know, figure out exactly uh, where Robert Williams falls in that I guess that larger spectrum of being able to do enough, being able to stay on the floor and do all of that. So again, I think there's enough upside there that he could uh, end up going before the Bucks at 17. And I think maybe he probably should, but at the same time, I, I, I think one thing that hangs over this whole draft is how do bigs end up playing in the NBA going forward? What is their role? How do they fit into all of this? Because I think there's a world where you could think about not having a ton of bigs and, you know, being totally fine and thinking more about wings. So I think that could be the thing that would have him drop to the Bucks at 17. But a guy that, you know, can eat up some rebounds, that can do some rim running, that can block some shots. Uh, I mean, I think that's an exciting player in Milwaukee. Last one here, 
Kevin Cox, the small forward, power forward kind of combo out of Kentucky, six foot nine, two hundred five pounds. Uh, he was a freshman this year, and you know he had to kind of make that decision if he wanted to stay in the draft or not. And he decided very early on that he was going to be a part of this draft. And I guess what's interesting about him is. He didn't have the best season at Kentucky. He wasn't hyper-efficient, and I I don't know. The Kentucky guys are always a little bit difficult to judge because what are you getting? And uh, if they weren't efficient there and they didn't play a huge role, like are they going to be – are they going to be Daniel Orton or are they going to be someone like Trey Lyles where Trey Lyles has managed to find himself a nice little niche and find a way to become a solid NBA player. Uh, so this one's kind of a tough one because that Kentucky system can be weird and difficult uh, to judge players. Obviously a ton of talent there is Calipari is going to get great players year in and year out. Uh, but Knox is one of the younger players in the draft and I think maybe one of the more uh, difficult players to project but in that there's always going to be the excitement of I can mold this guy into whatever Um, you know what's in the mystery box maybe it's a boat you don't know so um, that'll be something to watch but I think that wraps up my top 15 or so guys of that group of nine of the definitely guns and then that next group of the probably gone for the Milwaukee Bucks and again it's just six players so um, that gets us to 15 and I know there should be 16 on that list but I think everything gets a little bit more hairy in this range as you look through mock drafts as you look through prospect lists as you attempt to figure out kind of who's up next I, I think it gets a little bit more confusing so those are I think the two lists that I wanted to knock out tonight because again I don't think that as we talk with with Cole, as we talk with anyone else that we have on about prospects, I don't know that we'll spend a ton of time on these guys because I don't know how realistic it is that they will actually get to Milwaukee. And yes, that might ruin some of the fun of all of this to you know have the the dream lineups of these super talented players. But also, if you are a regular listener to the podcast, you know that I don't love those hypothetical conversations. I like to talk uh, more about things that I actually believe can happen. Uh, So that is, uh, to me, what I will focus on. And again, maybe when Frank gets a hold of uh, some of our guests, maybe at that point we'll talk a little bit more about some of those other hypotheticals. But I do think largely we'll kind of sway this way. And the good news there is you guys gave me a huge list of players. I mean, a crazy long list of players uh, that you could potentially find yourself interested in when the Milwaukee Bucks drafted 17. And what I mean there is I'm looking at this list right now, and I took off Robert Williams, who is one of them that you listed, and I took off Lonnie Walker, and then also Kevin Knox. So Walker, Knox, and Williams are the three that I knock off. And I still have 19 prospects that someone on Twitter that saw my tweet responded to and mentioned being interested in. And that's why I, I do really only feel, and again, somewhat confident. I, I feel very confident in those top nine not being there for the Bucks, and less so um, in those next six. There's a possibility that they're not there for the Bucks, but I think largely they're gone. And 
that leaves a bunch of players and a wide range of where those players could end up and uh, the possibility that they'll be at 17. So uh, I think how we'll kind of wrap this up is on a, on a cliffhanger. We're going to leave that list, all of those players that you suggested for maybe Monday, uh, maybe a little bit further into next week. But um, I just realized, honestly, I started doing this. I started uh listing off those players and then giving a short scouting report on them. And then we ended up having a podcast that would have been about an hour and 15 minutes. And I was not going to do that. Um, just because again, there's a lot of information about all those players, but I think it did end up, uh, droning on a little bit. So I'm going to cut it off there. Um, but what, uh, like I said, I feel good about the fact that we covered a number of the guys that I don't think will realistically be there for the Bucks. That, uh, again, maybe there's a possibility that some of that, that six group falls to the Bucks. But uh, for now, I just kind of wanted to go over those. Uh, and my greater hope is that there will be a larger picture of the NBA draft and you'll have a greater concept of kind of what we're looking at uh, as the NBA draft gets nearer. So hopefully this is, again, just the start introducing you to the prospects that will be at the start of the draft that the Bucks probably won't see. Uh, so we probably won't end up spending a lot of time on them going forward. But like I said, you guys give me a crazy long list. We'll go through some of that either on Monday or at some point next week as we start to do more draft prep. So that is going to be it for us for tonight. For Frank Madden, I'm Eric Name. This has been Locked on Bucks. Hopefully you're enjoying the start of draft coverage and hopefully you enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday.